This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. Welcome to Chapter 9. As always, I am your host, David Moten, and with me is the producer extraordinaire and the master of all things social media, my partner in crime, Brent Van Tassel. We're here to uh, give you a new chapter based upon uh, Marcellus Ball, the chapters that, that rotate through. Before we get to that, I want to mention that you can find us on patreon.com slash mindframepodcast. The regular chapters that we do every week, such as this chapter nine, are always uh, gifted to everyone for free, but we do have our regular sit-down episodes where myself, Brent, and Zach Smith come together and talk about the, the chapters. We go over different theories. I confirm things, I deny things, and we talk about a lot of the content. So it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a second podcast behind this podcast in a way. We really enjoy doing it and we, we've heard some good feedback. So if you're liking the story, if you're not certain how to put some of the pieces together, if you want some theories or some answers, then go to patreon.com slash mindframepodcast and you'll be able to find uh, answers and you'll be able to find those sit downs. Uh, there's other uh, rewards as well. There's different levels that you can buy into to get everything from shirts and stickers and all sorts of goodies. So go to Patreon and check it out. Also, we are a Podbelly original, and you can go to podbelly.com to find some really great resources if you're considering doing a podcast, if you're not sure about the, the tech end of it or the software or the hardware, some tips and tricks, and more importantly, if you want to find a really great network of podcasts that we are associated with, you can always go to podbelly.com. So where we last left, we were talking about Marcellus Ball. And Marcellus Ball, as you remember, is the stage manager of the Echo Theater, the theater on Echo Street. And in the last chapter that we saw him, he was stage managing a production of Hamlet that he himself didn't like and thought was pretty hokey. And he steered through a couple of uh, uh, problems as the show was occurring. And he talked a little bit about uh, a gal who he likes. And in this chapter, we see some of that relationship expand and we start to see some of the other figures that are important to the theater on Echo Street, as well as where his story is taking him. So sit back and relax and I hope you enjoy chapter nine. Chapter nine, Marcellus Ball, circa 1991. Marcellus read the newspaper most weekends Reading the paper was a throwback to his childhood, comforting as oatmeal. As a youth, he'd eagerly read the funny papers over breakfast with his mother. She'd always have it folded to Garfield, sitting next to his bowl and a cup of juice. It was the first thing he learned to draw, Garfield, a series of patterns, the eyes, the face, a few easily repeatable lines and the distinct stripes, and all the girls thought he was quite the artiste. He learned Odie next, and that was twice as impressive to his peers. That was the beginning and end of his life as an artist. His exam aptitudes pushed him away from the arts. His teenage testing indicated he had sought after potentials in his genetic code, much higher than almost anyone in his generation. And just as the memory of his testing process started to descend upon him, he heard a cough from the hallway outside the scene shop. It was Barca, and it distracted him enough to help Marcellus move back instead to his memory about newspapers. When he was done with the funny pages, he'd do a word scramble and then try to read actual stories. He learned early that the headline was all you needed. Man died in fire. Local sports team beats another. Record temperatures in the coming week. The rest was filler. 
boring filler to a child, but filler he'd come to appreciate as an adult trying to be informed and a reliable participant in democratic governance. On Saturdays and Sundays, Marcellus would get to the theater early, or at least what was considered early for theater folk who worked late into the night and then took their frustrations out on bottles of various spirits, to read in the hollow quiet of the theater. He'd take his breakfast at Echo Street, with his paper unfolding before him, just like the rest of the day would unfold in the hours to come. Rehearsal, production, meetings, set building, performance. Local, national, sports, funnies. This Saturday was like all the others in that he wanted his paper. However, the caveat on this day was that the review of last night's performance was in there. This meant he bought a stack that was whorishly sized for everyone to rave, scream, cry, and boast about when they trickled in. Marcellus laid the communal pile of papers on the metal industrial sink next to the coffee pot and went to read his own over breakfast. He sat at his makeshift desk, a bare wooden thing that Dale built for him a few years back. It had a slight angle to it, like an architect's desk, and it was wide enough to roll out set plans on. The surface was the black, thick countertop that a science classroom had, and names were etched in it, the names of the actors and crew who weren't here anymore. A memorial of a transitory business, the names of the lost so future generations could remember them, even if their individual performances were faded to reminiscing at cast parties and black-and-white photos of production's past lining the hallway. The photos were taken during dress rehearsals and then sent to the media to use in their reviews, one photo per play, one moment that the director and photographer decided was the decisive thing that made the play feel like a victory against illiteracy and boorishness. Katsumi Oshiro had the final eye for what picture to use, but she always asked Marcellus, and they both always agreed that the recent photos all needed to feature Desi. She was truly the star of the Kuiper Theater. People came for two reasons, Oshiro's directing and Desi's acting. Desi's reign over the theater was absolutely elemental. Her free spirit and her amazing skill were both elevated beyond what anyone else in the cast could summon. She would blow through the theater like a tornado, hugging people, air kisses, getting into everyone's business. Every person from a stagehand who moved furniture on set during blackouts to the costume designer knew and loved Desi. And everyone, including Miss Oshiro, seemed to be taken aback by her natural ability, both on stage and off, to command the room. Nobody ever seemed comfortable talking to her rising star, the ace of the Echo, as Irwin called her. Well, nobody but Marcellus, and that was only by virtue of their time together at college. How many of her plays had he called as stage manager? How many had she acted in? Some were long runs that went months, and others lasted just a weekend or two but his notion of what it meant to do theater was somehow always tied up in Desi's presence. Marcellus unfolded his newspaper, thicker than yesterday's because of weekend inserts, and laid out the front page to dry a little since it soaked up some rain on the way in. He dug his McMuffins and hash browns out of the brown paper bag and took a long drag of a sharp Coke that felt better than a coffee would at the moment, more refreshing, the crispness running through his nose. He unfolded his sandwich, and still missed the clamshell styrofoam containers the restaurant ditched a year or two ago, and ate half of it in four quick bites. He turned to the city culture insert. It was a list of things to do on the weekend, movie times, and most importantly, 
Harvey Menningen's review of last night's performance of Hamlet. It made the front page of the insert, and there were two color photos. One correctly identified Edwin Booth and Charles Mackland in the gravedigger scene, and the other was of Desi and Sarah Siddons, both looking beautiful in their vintage dresses and 40s hair, early in the play, before everyone went all crazy and started to kill each other. The review read, Katsumi Oshiro's latest installment of ephemeral theater is William Shakespeare's masterpiece, Hamlet. As with all productions at the Kuiper Theater, the new and soon old official name for the magical theater on Echo Street, this is a taut exercise of precision. It is set in a somewhat generic version of World War II, which at first does little to grab you in any clasp close to evocative. The first few scenes are predictable and generic. Generic costumes, generic war, generic, well, Hamlet. But then, as always, Oshiro works her magic, and the night's play proves her dominance in cutting-edge live performance. If she is not featured in college textbooks for her directing, she will be soon, and this Hamlet proves it. Marcellus heard the back theater doors swing open a few times, heralding the arrival of early straggles into Echo Street. Probably Irwin showing up to bring Bark a breakfast, but he didn't hear anything snarky going on, so maybe it was Patty and her assistant here to finish laundering the costumes from last night's performance. A couple people came in for papers and coffee, but nobody bothered Marcellus. He kept reading. Edwin Booth's Hamlet is slightly too old to fit the college-aged character. Sorry, Edwin. But he lures the audience to an especially dense psychological exploration of human nature, which was impregnated with soul and emotion. The acting at times detonated. Small, undetectable explosions that wouldn't have even dented a hull, but built up a grand, successful strategy. Indeed, Booth's portrayal of Hamlet leaves a wake of brooding psychology, an emotional halo that is powerful enough for the other characters to psychically react to, an area of hazard that nobody would fly through. This performance, coupled with a wonderful set that made a traditional setting in Old Denmark and Creepy Castle feel obsolete, it is an amazingly successful and decisive. As he was mid-sentence, someone crinkled the paper package of Marcellus's second hash brown and picked it up as if they planned to take a bite of the patty. For a second, he didn't mind because he was thinking French fries and could stand to lose a few. But when he realized the hash brown was a single item, he got a little pissed at either Irwin or Barca or whoever the hell thought it was okay to eat his food. As he looked up, someone sat on his lap, a warm behind against his cold skinny legs, an arm slung around his neck, a smell of musky oil and vanilla. It was Desi. The anger vanished as he saw her nibble a small bite from the tip of the hash brown, looking at her photo on the culture insert. Mind? she asked, holding up his hash browns. She was wearing jeans and an old black hoodie with holes and paint stains existing in a strata of set builds dating all the way back to their college days together. She didn't wear any makeup, which Marcellus actually liked. He could see her complexion better that way. Morning, Desi. Morning, Lucy, she responded, playing their old name game the lens of time suddenly narrowing like an iris. Their last names were Arnez and Ball. How could they not be Desi and Lucy? Marcellus always remembered Desi as a full-figured sophomore, nerdy, with flat, listless black hair. Times like now, though, she reminded him she'd matured into a proper woman, curvy, educated through hedonistic backstage hijinks, hair as wild as a gorgon's. Marcellus said, 
I have a second muffin in there too. Nah, just your taters and... She picked up his Coke and took a long sip. God, I look like a fucking hippo in that picture. How's the review, she asked, genuinely nervous. So far, better than I'd have written it, Marcellus said, suddenly scanning the room for other people, lest he hurt someone's feelings. He says something about acting that detonates with undetectable explosions, whatever the fuck that's supposed to mean. I haven't gotten to where he talks about you yet. I was smashing, darling, she said in an affectation of a socialite voice before daintily taking another bite of hash brown. I figured you'd be sleeping it off for a few more hours, Marcellus said. Katsumi wants to see me. Now it was Desi's turn to scan the room for eavesdroppers. She told me two days ago that she'd love to have me in the troupe of an off-Broadway off theater she's opening in New York. She wants me and Edwin to move back east after Hamlet goes dark. She'd like me to be a key player out there. I told her I wasn't sure, but I didn't know what would keep me here. I could branch out in New York and maybe catch a solid break. I think I'm good enough. Am I pretty enough? She asked with exaggerated wide eyes, mocking an old college colleague who was obsessed with beauty being the only thing needed for a career in acting. Plenty, Desi. That's amazing. That's like holy shit level of a break for you, Marcellus said, though he suddenly felt the grease from his breakfast turn over in his belly. You think I should go? It's a pretty scary leap, but I don't know what I have here in town to keep me from... She paused and twirled her finger in the air, indicating motion. Packing up stakes. There's me, Marcellus thought. You could stay here for me. But then he realized it was foolish. They were old friends, nothing but. They'd known each other for ten years now and had never kissed or held hands or even gone on a date. They'd been support for each other through a series of relationships, bad to worse, always the stalwart friend and sponsor. They spent every night working together at the theater, but then Desi would head out after and party and run wild. Marcellus had no drive to do that, preferred to work late and start early. So he missed a whole half of her life, the nocturnal wanderings he'd always be appraised of over afternoon coffee. She had no reason at all to stay for him. Marcellus realized he'd been waiting far too long to answer her question. She was still sitting on his lap and had to lean back to look into his eyes. She genuinely wanted his advice, wanted to know what she had to stay for. Marcellus's walkie-talkie screeched to life. Thank God. Hey, boss, Irwin said. I don't mean to interrupt, but we need the keys to the reception kitchen. And Miss Oshiro is here. Is the lovely Miss Arnez in the theater? She is. We're eating breakfast and reading the review. Well, the boss lady wants to see her pronto and then see you in 30 minutes about a new production. Hamlet has left the building. Wait, Marcella said into the walkie-talkie. We're done with Hamlet? After one night? The theater on Echo Street can be a pure ephemera when Miss Ashiro desires. And desires she does. No details, just that. Out, Irwin said, logging off. We rehearsed and listened to It's Bad For Me by Gertrude Lawrence for two months, only to strike after one performance? Glad I'm not working box office today. Those returns will be a nightmare, Desi said. And then, can't keep Cat waiting. She shifted her weight to get off of Marcellus's lap. In doing so, her breasts and hair slid against his cheek. The smell of musk and vanilla was strong. If we all get tangled up and don't see each other today, call me. I want to hear what you think about me moving, Lucy, okay? Marcella said, 
Lucy serves at the pleasure of Desi. And fucking call me too, mister, Desi said, knowing that Marcellus, as always, would not. So, will Marcellus call Desi? You'll have to tune in in another five chapters to figure that out. In the meantime, we are a Podbelly original. Again, you can find a whole host of uh, podcasts in the network on podbelly.com, including the new podcast, At Least There's Coffee, and the podcast called Do It Doug. So go there, give them a listen, give them a subscribe, give them a like, and uh, you're sure to find some things that you truly enjoy. If you like uh, the writing that you're hearing, you can track down my uh, first novel in the Six Paradigm series, which is a completely different series than this one, but it's called 181 Pine, and you can find the link at our website, mindframepodcast.com, and you can also find the books of the sit-down host, Zach Smith. They are posted on mindframepodcast.com as well. Please track us down on social media. It means the world to us, the galaxy to us. If you share, if you like, if you subscribe, uh, those those numbers are very meaningful and they have a big impact. So subscribe to the podcast and then track us down on social media. You can find us on Facebook on Mindframe Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at The Mindframe Podcast. You can find us at Twitter at The Mindframe Pod. And you can find us on Reddit at r slash Mindframe Podcast. So that's our social media presence. You can always find us there. We hope that you're still enjoying the show. Uh, things are definitely taking turns and coming together. Hopefully you're starting to assemble the threads. You're starting to see some of the connections and the story will start to move in different and more interesting ways. So as always, thank you for listening. And remember, the Lariat is closing.